Hey, how's it going? This is Mallory Smart. Welcome back to another spectacular episode of Textual Healing. Today, I'm joined by Jessamine Violet to discuss her latest book, Secret Rules to Being a Rockstar, amongst many other things. But before we dive in, I'd like to back up and tell you a little bit more about Textual Healing. Textual Healing is a weekly podcast that interviews writers about music, books, and the random things that drive them. Support the show and the writers on it by following us on Twitter at PodHealing, rating us on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing on Spotify. But back to more interesting things like today's episode. I'll be speaking with Jessamine Violet about way more than just her novel. In this interview, we also talk about book tours, and she delves into how to make them stand out, random 90s trivia, her music project movie club, and her overall journey as an artist. I know it's a roller coaster of information, but I promise it's worth the ride. And instead of hearing all this from me, let's just jump into the show. I just got back from book band tour that I planned, and the sole purpose was to try to make reading kind of cool-seeming again, you know? It was kind of like I designed, like, a book talk show around my book where I'm, like, sitting at the drum kit playing little drum fills and, uh, you know, having special guests and games based on my book, and, I, you know, it's top ten reasons reading is punk rock, and I don't know. It was fun, though. And we got better venues because we played a set for my with my band afterwards. So it was like a lot more people showed up than the like bookstore venue. You know what I mean? Um, I've but done yeah. a few readings uh, with punk bands, and you definitely get a much bigger turnout for people who are playing music oh, and awesome. everything. That's why I always say that writers are the shittiest people because we always <laughs> beg people to come to our readings. Oh, God. But we really offer nothing else other than pretentious readings. I mean, that's why I didn't want it to be a pretentious reading. That was why I did, like, the, the book talk show format because I was just like, I, I don't want it to be pretentious at all. I, do, I read one page of the book while my husband plays, like, this music bed under... It and uh, and then it's mostly just talking about the '90s and music and trying to do like '90s pop quiz and like a narrative game based on the rules of the book and stuff like that. I was just trying to like make it fun, you know, because the reading situ- situation is it's not very fun or engaging. Um. I <laughs> adore that method. Oh my god! And uh, you. you're quote-unquote band i don't know like it's just you and your husband right yeah it's a duo called movie club but yeah that's how it actually took me a while i was realizing i was like oh shit i'm late to sending you the link it was like 305 little did we know there would be technical difficulties (laughs) i got caught up listening (laughs) to some of uh your work i was actually really into ghost in the machine and i had that on repeat for a bit awesome <laughs> and like i was just kind of zoning out and i was like oh my god i have to send her the link we need to start the <laughs> podcast <laughs> i love that it's amazing i'll take that excuse for lateness any day <laughs> i know I'll be like i'm so sorry i was enjoying your content don't, <laughs> don't get angry at me <laughs> or what oh, they say man. on twitter don't at me no don't at me that's hilarious 
but as we have all this fun small talk and everything, maybe we should say who you are, other than just your awesome band, which I was really digging on. Sorry. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, my name is Jessamine Violet. I'm a musician and a writer. I just dropped my first novel through the Three Rooms Press called Secret Rules to Being a Rock Star. And I, I got to say, I've never heard your name before. I'm so happy you said it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's, I was actually named after an author, Jessamine really? West. And I've, like, met and heard about other Jessamines my whole life, and they've all been named after her as well. See, you're the only person I know who has what I would call a rare name that has actually met and heard <laughs> of other people with their, your rare name. Yeah. I've only met, like, two other Mallories in my entire life. Yeah, I don't think I've met any other Mallories, to be honest, now that I think about it. Yeah, it always, did you have the annoying situation when you were younger and, like, you'd see, like, a coffee mug or a necklace and it would say everybody's, like, name except yours? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a really rough trend in, uh, <laughs> in like, middle school. In usually. middle school, yeah. You're looking for the pencils with your name or the keychain or the earrings. Yeah. But tell me about your tour, because I know originally we were going to do our podcast prior to it thanks for being chill about that by the way of course no, this is a better better time i would say better because you probably have so many cool things to say about the tour and if not make shit up yeah no i mean it was a really wild like we went out on a limb like we basically opened for ourselves it was a book band tour i hadn't ever seen it done um but that doesn't mean it hasn't been done but uh, I just, you know, have been working my ass off for so many years on these two arts, and I just wanted to celebrate them with my first book publication, even though, of course, like, there's no real uh, money from the publisher to to back it up. Um, we had some... Uh, we had some money in the bank through movie club ventures. And, uh, so we put this together and I just, I, you know, I took acting lessons for years and I've done stand up comedy. So I kind of decided I wanted to do like a talk show format because I wanted it to be casual. And we were doing, we were playing all these venues that had, um, that were rock and roll venues. Um, so we basically set the stage, like we were going to play, um, and I did a reading from behind my drum kit um, while my bandmate played a music bed under what I was reading, which was cool to set the vibe. And then I talked a little bit about the 90s, a little bit about the book plot. And then there's like a 90s pop quiz that I would give the in conversation author or I would pull someone random from the crowd Um which was fun and uh, just kind of brought you down memory lane a little bit. And then, um, and there's like a narrative game that I, I uh, invented based on the rules because each chapter in my book is a rule that my um, protagonist learns the hard way while she's learning how to be in a famous rock band at the early age of 18, coming from the green hills of Western Massachusetts. So um, so I would have someone choose a card. I got the rules printed up on these cards 
And so uh, they would pick a card and they would have to tell a story that proved the rule. And the game was called, Are You a 90s Rock Star? And it was really a blast. Like, it was just so cool to see, you know, even just like pulling people from the crowd, they would tell stories, you know, Sometimes we play teenage dirt bag under it um, because that was the whole point. It was like I can vibe that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was like um, just just telling stories from being a teenage dirt bag um, and uh, proving that you're a rock star. I mean, so many of us have funny rock star ish stories from our teenage years. So, and you know, some of them were hilarious. Like we got the bartender from this one venue in New Orleans to to come out, and he pulled party like there's no yesterday and he was like this is the perfect card for me because one time i went to this three-day party and i dosed 300 people with acid during the course of the three days and it's like stuff like that you know what i mean where you're just like this is gold and he probably never thought he could like tell that to a crowd you know and everyone loved it um see i'm gonna steal some of your ideas now <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it's there for. I mean, I, I just wanted to shake up the reading scene, like we were saying, and and bring, like, a new element, make it interactive, you know? Like, you want people to pay attention to your stories, so you have to pay attention to theirs. It's, like, kind of the same format that, like, podcasting is, you know? Like, it's it's a way to, like, share stories and around based around a story. And um, I don't know, like, it would just, nothing would please me more than if people read more, um, because this world seems like it's, like, been strategically led in the opposite direction of reading. Like, all the elements that reading has are now, like, phased out. Like, the amount of focus, the analog imagination, um, you know, people are streaming stuff from an early age. It's, like... Kids don't even know how to play by themselves. They have to watch a video on YouTube about how to play. You know, it's like the unboxing. I imagine what like a tutorial that would be. Yeah, I mean, can you even imagine like when we were kids, we would be left outside for hours and we would just create these whole worlds, and it was really a, a magical experience. Part of being a child, you know. And uh, if you wanted to like hang out with a friend, you had to do the very awkward thing of walking up to their house and talking to their parents and be like, excuse me, is so-and-so home? Oh, okay, they got to finish their homework. I'll be back in 20. Right, right. You can't go on the iPad and send them an instant message or whatever. But That was actually the worst. Or calling. That, like, really was, like, going out on a limb, especially because yes. you knew that your parents wanted the phone. And, like, exactly. what are you doing? Well, parents could screen, too. They were like, who's that boy on the phone? You know, it's like nowadays that doesn't even happen, you know. It's, it's really, the buffer was annoying, but perhaps to some benefit when you think about it now. I mean... I would say that I luckily came to that age, like, with boys, where cell phones just started to, like, be big. Oh, um, okay. So you had, at what age did you uh, get a phone? Okay, I got my phone for a different reason than that. I got it in eighth grade, but it was because I played sports, and my parents got tired of me calling them off of, uh, this is a thing that Gen Z kids won't get, a payphone. And calling them collect, but really quickly trying to tell them to pick me up. <laughs> On the little recorded message of who it is. Yeah. 
it, it was really fun. Yeah. I can't do it now, but I could have raced through it like a very long message. And How does Mallory like, pick me up the mall by? Yeah. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah. Everything went wrong. Hurry up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Some kids don't even know what a dial tone sounds like. It's really wild. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, um, just reminding people about, you know, ways that the world has changed for the better since the 90s um, and, you know, reminding some of the the more treacherous things, you know, that we had to deal with back then versus now, but also, you know, I mean, kids have plenty of ideas about what's terrible about the world today, you know, but they don't get to be reminded that often about how much things have been changed for the better. So I was trying to be inspiring at the same time um, to some degree. And now it seems like reading is, you know, something that is going to take the edge off life. And But people are, are have a hard time reading. I mean, I can't even, you know, people in their, in their, our age, you know, 30s to 40s, have a hard time reading today, you know, that used to just rip through books um, because the world has been designed with all the distractions and I should be doing this, I should be doing that. It's like we're all scrambling and working our asses off, but, like, no one's really happy. And I don't know. At the end of the day... I don't know if you notice that a lot of times, like, they'll, like, really start, like, hyping a book that's about to come out and then suddenly you'll just see it on streaming and... It's like, whoa, wait, why, why is the book a movie or miniseries already and it wasn't released yet? Well, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, there have been a few. I mean, We're to like, me, that's in, like that's wild. I, I do know that my book I'm was not pitched read the book if before I it came it. out. <laughs> right. And, yeah. Well, they're mining authors for ideas for streaming content because, I mean... To write a book, you need a certain, like, depth of plot that can sometimes not be present in scripts, right? Mm-hmm. So. I'm not going to lie. This, like, conversation is going to piss my screenwriter friend off. Well, you know, screenwriters do get touchy, but I am a scriptwriter as well. Like, I've written many feature films and shows. I, I, I've been hired to write films. I've been hired to write episodes um so it's like i feel like i can say very confidently that it's much easier than writing a novel or a book like it just is you don't have to worry about certain things you you have to worry about dialogue and you can put a prop in the scene if it's necessary but other than that that's the art department's job or the director's job you know it's like you just have to do the dialogue and put the loose setting parts you know, in and and writing a book, you have to carry a hundred percent of the weight. You have to pull people in. You have to describe everything. You have to add tone and inflection and facial expressions if you want people to understand the character was doing something in a snarky way. You know what I mean? Like it's just like it's a whole different world. So, I I've tried writing scripts though. The format's hard for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's not... It's so... It's a very, like, strict template, almost. Well, it's bare bones. At least in my mind. 
Yeah. And I think acting class, you know, honestly, like I, I have a graduate degree in creative writing and I've taken so many, so many writing classes, but the most I ever learned about writing was in acting class, to be honest, because the amount of scene dissection that is done and the way that you can change a whole character based on, you know, your actions on stage. I mean, it, it was just like, and, and the way that they teach you, like every scene has to have an objective, whether it's like a driving one or a latent one, you know, it, it really made me think about writing in a different way that was like hugely helpful. And I never got any of that in my writing classes. So that's, I would say like that intersection that would definitely allow you to like be excellent in both arenas. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, I definitely think that all all writers should take some acting classes, if nothing else, just to study mm. scenes, scene breakdowns, and and it, I mean, it teaches you to get up there in front of people. And as an author, you have to kind of sell your own book by getting out there, right? Like, I mean, even the I can silently observe <laughs> the other authors in the acting class. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's pretty important to get up there, though. I mean, I just think it helps to 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 work on public speaking. You know, it, it is it's it's less revealing than public speaking, even because you get to be a character. So it's like you're not speaking from your heart, or like you know, like reading poetry used to be the most terrifying thing to me, you know, because it was like a direct pipeline into my soul, you know, it was like so naked, you know, even stand-up comedy is like less scary than like reading a poem to me sometimes, like, but. See, what I like with stand-up comedy is the assumption that most people are <laughs> drunk, so. Poetry, though, I, I, I totally agree with you. And that's actually why I think it's really cool that you do music as well. I mean, you know, like how Kathleen Hanna was just doing poetry in her early days when she was in college and she met Kathy Acker and Kathy Acker told her if she really wanted people to hear her words that she should do music instead. Kathy Acker, I quote her in the book talk show every time. Yeah, she's she's Ooh. amazing. Um her and Kathleen Hannah, huge, huge respect. Um, mad, mad props. Mad props, yeah. <laughs> Just throwing out my own words here. So wait, what do you quote? Uh, from Kathy Agger? Uh, well, it's part of the top ten reasons reading is punk rock, and and it goes, uh, if it's like number seven, it's like, um, if life was a video game, books would have all the secret codes as proven by punk writer Kathy Acker who said there must be a secret hidden in the book or else you wouldn't bother to read it. Ooh. And then you could just drop the mic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I need to know the rest of the top ten. You want to know the top ten? Yeah. Oh, this is kind of awesome, actually, because... Um... For all the people who couldn't make it. All right, all right. Let me let me uh, just pull it up so I don't stumble too much. Um, well, okay. The top ten reasons reading is punk rock. Number ten. In the hit punk song, I Fought the Law, 
Jello Biafra, lead singer of the Dead Kennedys, says, gonna write my book and make a million. So go on, stick it to the man by becoming a millionaire author right now. <laughs> Number nine, quoting a book is as obscure an act as quoting a punk rock song. I mean, how many of you knew that previous lyric? And that was a hit punk song. Number eight. Oh, God. I need to find him. Um. (laughs) Oh, it is physically impossible to be reading and contributing to capitalist society at the same time. Number seven. Another mic drop. You don't just have to, like, drop the mic and pick it up the entire time. (laughs) Exactly. I know. There's, like, too many mic drops. Um, Number seven, if life was a video game, books would have all the secret codes, as proven by punk writer Kathy Acker, who said there must be a secret hidden inside the book or else you wouldn't bother to read it. Um... Number six, fascists, racists, and bigots all hate books. So piss them off good by keeping yourself surrounded by queer literature. Number five, writers are naturally rebellious rascals, and that energy does transfer. Number four, punk equals freedom, and there's nothing more freeing than using your analog imagination. Number three, reading a punk author's paperback is basically equivalent to raging against the machines. Number two, mainstream society doesn't read, so that automatically classifies reading as a countercultural act. And the number one reason why reading is punk rock as fuck, books are cheap and or free. And we all know how much punks love cheap and free shit. <laughs> and then I start headbanging and crash into the drum kit. <laughs> I was say, I saw some pretty badass pictures of you, I'm sure. I'm trying to imagine, like, at what stage you were at certain moments. <laughs> yeah. I loved your sunglasses, by the way. Very Thank lit. you. Thank you. It really helps you look cool when the spotlights are sticking that in the tear. <laughs> the Courtney Love look. Yeah, I, I just like the difference between like the author photo and then this how you look regularly and like I I like your punk look. That that that's definitely cool. I like your regular look as well, but Oh yeah, yeah. Y- you're very badass in the other look. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone should dress punk more. That's all I'm saying. I agree. I agree that everyone should just, you know, well, then I go on to say, you know, like, you know, punk is as free as love should be and is certain to be the last refuge of the wise. Um, you know, like, just, oh, and I talk about, you know, how everyone's feeling pretty squeezed these days, but in the immortal words of Hunter Thompson, in a world full of thieves, the only final sin is stupidity. 
that's my main argument for reading more books. <laughs> so how did the reaction from the audience, like, how were they when you give your top ten? People really loved the top ten, man. That was, like, the most commented on thing. There's, just, like, a certain um, unexpectedness coming from, like, someone trying to say, like, reading is cool. You know what I mean? Because it's just, like, no one ever says that. <laughs> Like, reading is cool now because it's, like, so anti-mainstream. Like, if you read books, you're, like, going to be on a different wavelength than 95% of people around you. You know what I mean? I mean, you are were seen as a little geeky for me. Yeah. But it, it just became, like, way geekier. I know. Well, it's, like, yeah, book nerds. Yeah, like, bookworms, you know. But at the same time, like... I don't know. I just think there are so many cool books out there that, like, really can change people's lives if they read them and they see, you know... I mean, it's just... There's so much blood, sweat, and tears put into every book that comes out, right? Like, every book that's What would you say is the most life-changing book for you? Gosh. Well, I know I hit you hard with that one. I mean... Like, I couldn't even answer it myself. So Yeah, it's really hard because, I mean, there's books that have such strong voice that they, like, change the way you talk. I mean, Catcher in the Rye, the voice is, like, so strong in that, obviously, and that's why it's, like, more read than the Bible, or at least used to be. Um, but, oh, God, I don't know. It's, like... Anais Nin, I, I was like soaking up her journals in high school and college, um, and just it, I was in love with like her freedom and her chameleon vibes, like the way that she would just be exactly who she wanted to be and toy with all these men and 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 somehow like pull off the innocent card at the same time. She was she was quite the hero. And then, you know, I, I worshipped, like, Bukowski, like, was the most life-changing in the poetry department because he was so raw and he didn't try to be pretty. And I felt like so much of my, like, formative writing years w- was me trying to lose my natural impulse to make things pretty, you know what I mean? Like, there's this, this like, weird thing... And sometimes I just was like, you know, this is why, like, men get published more is because they just can be, like, brave and reckless and, like, they don't give a fuck um, what anyone thinks of them and somehow, like, pull off just being complete scoundrels on the page and still, like, are, like, because I thought because they're so raw and they tell it like it is and they don't try to sugarcoat anything or make anything sound pretty. Um, so it was like when I started reading Bukowski, like poetry just like started pouring out of me and I was just writing hundreds of poems. Um, so there's that. Yeah. So life, all these life changing writers in different departments, um, Hunter Thompson, I just was obsessed with the way he lived his life and like. I even tried to, like, go in his direction, and then 
when I was like living in a cabin in weed country, I was like, you know, maybe I'm not Hunter Thompson and that's okay. (laughs) Like maybe (laughs) I can just like admire it on him and not try to wear it myself because weed country was not the most inspiring place for me. <laughs> it was a pretty harrowing time, and I, I wasn't exactly cut out for that lifestyle. So, but I like that you kind of like I don't know are all over the board there, not with like just literature, but like with the way you live. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I've been really all over the board with the way that I've lived, like uh, just drinking up experience because that's what. How else are you going to write? Exactly. But the problem is then you realize that writing doesn't... You have time? Well, no. I mean, if anything, I had time because I have been kind of a freelance, you know, vagabond for so long. But then you realize that writing is is hard to make a living, you know. And at a certain point, you're like, oh, God, I'm, like, so in the red, you know. (laughs) It's like... Maybe I should try to, like, do something that makes money for a little. It's kind of, uh, I don't know. I, I, that's why I'm trying to bring bring reading back. Because, I, I mean, I just wish I was a billionaire. Again. If I was a billionaire, I would pay every single person that was brave enough and focused enough to write and complete a novel or a book, you know, like I, it just takes so it takes such time and care and thoughtfulness and focus. And like, it's just sad that this world makes it an unrewarding experience. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, how do you how do you make it like more rewarding? Like, I'm so sick of us glamorizing these people that, you know, I, I won't specify, but like, there's just, you know, the glamour and the spotlight always goes to, like, the worst. And and, and meanwhile, like, the people that are really trying to, to do something with care and attention, um, it's like everyone's telling them and everything about society is telling them that it's just, like, not a sustainable path. And And meanwhile, you look at what people are more than making a living off of and it's directly contributing to the rapid downfall of society and it's Western yes, civilization yes. or all civilization at this right point. exactly and you're just like why it's just so frustrating i don't want to feel mean, no, bad about earlier myself. what like i was reading earlier the clock is ticking now now we're at five years of point of no return with like the world and global warming and everything it was like oh shit i remember when it was like 20 yeah i just we're just getting closer and closer it is it is it's just gonna speed up and speed up more i mean because we've been like not checking anyone for so long like it's like way back when you know i think they used to try to like really make it hard you know to start a new business and like you'd have to really be buttoned up but with all this tech stuff it's just been a free-for-all right and it's just been just so rapid fire and that you don't need like like bitcoin all the crypto stuff it's just like just now currency can be bad for the fucking environment are you kidding me and like these and just like 
these people are all getting pats on the back, you know, and they're feeling good about themselves. And that's what pisses me off. It's like the poor poets and writers and actors and artists, like trying to do something decent and make the world a prettier, better place is, it's just like, we're just getting eaten alive out here because we don't operate with that level of greed. And, um, I don't know. I don't know. I just wrote like a screenplay that was like kind of like American beauty meets climate change. Like it's like about a family getting torn apart by like, um, the onset of just like all the climate change factors and the mom works at a salmon hatchery and she's like going off the rails because she's seeing like what's happening and no one caring and the husband's trying to angle in for a car and so it was very cathartic that's the one thing that is good about writing it's just like if something's pissing you off you can just write about it and you can just like you can really you know use your sentences like swords and and that's that's the exhilaration that or that will keep you writing at the end of the day. <laughs> I don't know which one I want to hit at first. One, I haven't heard anyone bring up American Beauty in forever, so kudos on that. Wow. <laughs> oh my god, have you read that screenplay? It's yeah, it's like a flawless screenplay. It's an unbelievable screenplay. Yeah. So that that one's pretty lit. Um, I'm going to go back to the books you named, by the way. I like that you were not pretentious at all with your book picks. A lot of people try and, like, out-obscure yeah. me when they named their books. I'm just like, fuck you, <laughs> whatever. That, that did not change your life. <laughs> and three, I love the idea of using your words as weapons. I do it all the time. Sometimes I actually like to sneak in legit facts to see if the people read the book. <laughs> From what I can tell, they haven't yet. <laughs> Wait, so what do you mean? Like, you play, like, games, like, you put wrong facts in? Uh, legit facts about, like, certain characters so, like, they could put it together and be like, Wait, is she talking about me? Oh, like, from your life? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So you you write that closely to your life experience? I'm a little vindictive. Interesting. No, I definitely go broader, yeah. I mean, my book I just wrote has nothing to do with me. It definitely goes more into, like, well, kind of more your life, actually. <laughs> Mine, personally? <laughs> I want to say personally, but, uh, you know, definitely the idea. It is someone who's actually trying... <laughs> To be a musician. <laughs> Trying or pulling and it off. Pulling yeah. it off and is very, like, uh, stressed about it. Yeah. Very torn about the whole possibility and everything. The pressure scares the hell out of well, them. Well, that sounds cool. We'll see if this gets made. Yeah. I want to read it. I literally, it's just called L.A. Nights. L.A. Nights. It's just following nice. her through one week of trying to figure out what she's doing. In L.A. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you live here? No, but everyone's going to think so after they read this book. Cool. That's actually, that sounds like a, like a, it would pair well with mine on the shelf. I just had another publisher message me and they're like, it sounds like that's going to pair well with another book we're publishing. I'm like, hmm, okay. Oh, sweet. This could work. Yeah, I honestly think that it's like a better time to publish books about musicians than ever, which is exciting um, because I know when I first wrote my book, Back in, I finished it in 2011, the first draft. 
um, I shopped it around and, uh, a lot of people didn't want to bite because they said that, um, books about music didn't sell, but now it feels like a different climate and it feels like books about music are getting bought and published more. And like with the huge success of Daisy Jones and the six, you know, that's really shocked people. And I, I was like a little like salty about Daisy Jones and the six until I researched the author and found out it was literally her 10th book. And I'm like, man, she fucking earned it. You know, <laughs> like even like, I mean, really, it's just crazy how many books you have to even just put out these days to, like, sometimes get anywhere. But I have one friend who writes and publishes one book a year and has been for the last decade. And I'm like, and you still haven't gotten there yet. Holy shit. It's really wild. So do they self-publish? get critical acclaim, too. Oh, yeah. They uh, get published by actual publishing. Every year. Yeah. And they get critical Some acclaim. people are writing machines. Yeah. Wow. Um, I guess it really is hard to break through. And sadly, the way that you break through is getting it turned into a mini-series. I know. I know. Like, that's when you're like, I am a success. They want to put it on Netflix. Well, it's actually just like when you see some money that you can live off of, right? Like, because the money's all in television, so... I mean, even if a book, I mean, an author gets what? Roughly like $1 per per sale of their book hardcover, right? But it is, it really is about getting out there and putting the book into people's hands at the end of the day. Um, and that's why it's hard because it's like, you have to sort of finance that yourself most of the time. Like, like I would also say just really being creative as to how you're going to like, get your book yeah. out there yeah exactly it's all about kind of reinventing the publicity game a little bit um you have to take like it into your own hands a lot like i'll say that even as a publisher where it's like i know the writer is gonna have to do a lot of the work too yeah yeah but as a writer i do that too i actually have a sticker with a qr code for my book and i paper the streets with them nice yeah so people could buy that one i i, I could tell that one of the movie theaters probably really hates me because there are a lot of stickers with the qr code <laughs> for my book well then i'm sure someone probably scanned it at some point they're probably like damn it mallory was here again <laughs> it would be cool if you could see can you see how many people have used a QR card? If you create a QR code, can you see how many people have used it? I couldn't see it. I don't think you could see it, but it goes to my publisher's page, so I'd have to ask them. Oh, right, right, because you didn't go through your own press. No. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of uh, vanity presses. Yeah. Um, not trying to judge anyone who does, but I don't know. I think being part of a more curated press is a little cooler. How did you uh, find your press, by the way? Yeah. Um, wait, were you talking about The Only Living Girl in Chicago? Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I have to check I know, that see, out. See, everyone's going to think I'm from Chicago, and then eventually they'll be like, wait, did she move to L.A.? 
It's going to be fun. All but you are from Chicago, right? Yes. <laughs> Born, raised, never left. I am dying to get to Chicago. We, we talked about trying to take the book band tour through there. Um, that's TBD. Hit me up. I know the cool places. Yeah, I definitely will. Yeah, we just, we just got back last week, so we're just like nursing ourselves back to uh, normal and then... But yeah, I found this this press, um, Three Rooms Press, through a friend who, like, is also a writer, and they, like, recommended it. They thought it would be a good fit, um, because this is, like, a punk rock press, and they're really into Dadaism, and, like, I, like, honestly... It was it was the finest century. I, I would never have found them on my own. There's just so many small presses, and it, it's really hard to find, like, some of them, you know? Um, and then, mm-hmm. but I submitted to, I've just been through the ringer with the agent scene. I don't know if you have an agent, but. Um, no, yeah. but I have had some contact me. We'll see if it ever happens. Yeah, it seems like the agent situation is, like, particularly dire right now i i don't know i've had two agents what the first one the agency went under before they could sell my book the second one quit the business after getting me this book deal that i already had struck the interest uh for myself um so i was like un unagented i was like you know the agent game is just like killing me and my friend was like check out these small presses that you don't need to, like, have an agent to submit to. And then uh, I had a couple of them interested. And then I hit up an agent, like, oh, a couple of presses are interested in my book. Like, do you mind doing, like, a call that we could just chat about my situation? And that got their attention. And they signed me on. And then uh, we took the book deal with Three Rooms Press um, because they wouldn't... They didn't want me to, like, change it, anything. Um, and, uh, of course, that's, like, the artist's dream. It's, like, you get to keep everything. Um, and then, anyway, and then they quit the business. <laughs> and I was, like, so bummed. Um, so now I'm just paying royalties to an agency that's doing literally nothing to me, for me. Um, they didn't place me with another agent or anything, so... Back to square one. That is so awkward. I know. It's so rough. And it's like, I don't even know how these agents do it. I just like the whole model needs to change, right? Like, I don't know. It's so hard. The gatekeeper thing and like agents making a percentage of like the author's income where it's like, I don't know. They, they kind of like bombard you with these like sad statistics that you don't know how much of them are true, but like. Eight percent of writers actually make enough to live from their writing. So, like that's something mm-hmm. that, and I don't know what, what you think about that statistic, but then another one's like, I've accepted that I'll be poor. <laughs> yeah, same. And and another one's like ninety five percent of books only don't even sell two hundred copies. Um, which, how much say do you? Did you get in your cover and your title? Oh my god, all of it! I mean, thank God. I mean, I really had to. I really honed it in. I, I had a certain idea, you know, um, and 
I will just say that it was very interesting um, what what other people might have been happy with, but um, I was very relieved because I know I've talked to plenty of people that work with big publishing houses and get very little say in the cover and they're always kind of miffed and um, I was very relieved because at the end of the day, you know, it's like the writer, it's it's your baby. I always tell, oh my God, you just said what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. That's why I tell every author of mine was like, you know, we do get final say, but it's like, but it is your baby. Right. And you, like, I want it to be what you wanted. Yeah, totally. And I love that about small presses, the, the ability to have that hands-on collaboration um because i think the collaboration is the most important part you know what i mean like because if it was just the, the writer designing the cover themselves it would be very not good i mean i just think in general collaboration is is part of what makes art come alive like if it's if it's too tyrannical like it has a certain flatness to it i think um Mm -hmm. but when people are having a conversation that's getting everyone's juices flowing and, um, and yeah, you know how to say things in ways that don't piss everyone off. (laughs) 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 So, yeah. Yeah. So why did you name it that? Um, Secret rules to being a rock star. Yeah. It 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 came from, Basically, I also love the windbreaker. By oh, the way. thanks. Yeah, I kind of like I'm dying to have the money to get someone to do like a custom one. You know, like oh, I would buy that. I would that'd buy be that. So sick. <laughs> Hell yeah! Like, well, the '90s are coming back huge, and and yeah, I think that jacket would. A lot of people would want that jacket just because the colors. The night those colors are so popping, and uh, they, those were the I '90s. Say, I think I had colors. that jacket. No, I think we all did. Yeah, it was like. um but the rules you know part like part of it was like it organically started um before i was even in bands my friend and i would joke about the the rules to being a rock star like based on kind of like the mottos we had going in life like like we would, we, some of them, only only a small small selection of the rules are from real life. But like, but we, we would, that we would joke about, you know, like rock stars never stay in for the night, you know, like, or rock stars, you know, never fall all the way in love or things like that, you know, like we would kind of just joke about just the way that it was more me than her that I was living my life at the time. But it was like, it was like, I was like, it was like, I was a rock star that hadn't like found my band yet. You know, I was like figuring it out. So you got to find your tribe. (laughs) I had to find my tribe. And I actually started drumming when I started writing this book. Um, And uh, I was a pianist before that. Um, Oh, that's a whole different set of rules. Yeah, yeah, but I was never, like, I never played keys in a band or anything. I just was, like, a classical pianist, um, so I put that aside for a long time. That should be your sequel now, <laughs> Secret Rules to Being a Pianist. <laughs> the sequel, I hope that, 
I do write the sequel at some point, but um, but that one would Maybe be called Wreck Wreck on Tour. I think that would be called. Oh, that's lit. <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Instead of Wreck on Tour. So, people will judge the book by its cover, but what is it about? Um, it's about honestly, like just it's about this terribly squirrely path that is becoming an artist especially like someone that's trying to make it in the big leagues um when I first got to LA myself I was just here to be a writer and um I was writing for magazines and uh I was just absorbing all these personalities and all these different type of types of artists and these wild locations and these really crazy adventures and I was just sort of like being a fly on the wall just and uh and then at a certain point I was like okay well I need to like leave to be able to process and write about this <laughs> and like um put it into some sort of cohesive you know, format. So, so I went to grad school and, um, I think part of what struck me as like the funniest part about LA was how many projects never see the light of day. And like people put all this time and focus and like change their whole lives to like be a part of something that never even comes to fruition. And that was kind of like the fact that Kyla moves to LA to, you know, rehearse and be get this image and attitude adjustment to be in this famous band but like throughout the course of the book like little to no music actually gets played you know because it's like so much dysfunction and that's and that's kind of like the other part it's just like dealing with the dysfunction and how it feeds your art to some extent but if you Put up with too much of it, nothing ever happens. It's just like so. Kyla's just kind of learning how to be her own version of herself, while also having all these people telling her how she has to be. And because it's the '90s, it's like especially bad with like guys telling her how she has to be, and she's in the process of figuring out her sexuality. So she's in love with the singer of the band and uh the singer of the band is a kind of like she's like a mashup of all the hot 90s front woman at the time so <laughs> her name is ruby sky and she's flexing her control over kyla um because that's the weirdest part about being an artist working with artists that you are already a fan of is like you have like this built-in feeling like you just want to please them because they made this art that thrilled you so much that like you just want them to like you and you just want to be whatever they want you to be and uh I don't know I just thought that like the older guy younger girl thing was like pretty played out and this was a lot more interesting and you know like something like very very different scenario but like similar and to some extent might have happened with me so like this was the kind of like central relationship that I was 
interested in focusing on. So I love that you got so many badass musicians, by the way, to blurb your book. Like Tegan Quinn, huge fan. I mean, you know, I'm not saying I'd stalk her, but it'd be cool to have coffee. <laughs> no, um, I know. It was it was really I'm shocked like Carrie Brownstein seems like she'd be the perfect fit given that like plot. From Sleater Kitty. Oh, uh, I did hit. I think I did ask my publicist to hit up Sleater Kitty. Because, um, like, that's like Carrie Brownstein's story. Right. Well, that was the funny thing. The, the skating Polly, um, Peyton Big Horse said it felt like their story. It, 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 it's meant. Oh, damn. Are all musicians vibing that? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, just reading it and they're like it's me yeah Sleater Kenny uh, Carrie didn't get back um ah oh, damn Carrie Brownstein get back I know well that's why it was a miracle that even the people that, that I got were that game because I mean Kim Gordon was like allegedly on board and then ghosted <laughs> I mean it's asking people like cause they're, they're having their busy lives and they have to read and they're like oh shit now I have to write a sentence or two well these are also writers that I mean they're, they're also musicians who write so like it's like you know we'll help out the community that you're a part of like so yeah I was very happy about the response anyway um, I would say Tegan and Sarah they just wrote I, I love how I say just the pandemic ruined my sense of time they just had that book was it high yep. school yep yeah, I heard it got turned into a mini series as well, or a series. That's awesome. See that that it it's just the end the cycle. I know book then series. Well, I mean that's yeah that's <laughs> you can't argue with eyeballs on your work, no matter what form. It's like it's almost like being the opening credits. They always say based on the book. It's like okay, yeah, just push the book as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, although. Yeah, I wonder what the translation to book sales actually is, even then. It'd be very interesting. Well, I know that, like, you know, if you're someone like Tegan and Sarah, they probably get, like, producer credits and shit. But, like, I know one friend who's a writer, and he basically, for, uh, he helped with the show. He didn't get much at all. It's one of, like, a ladder situation. We're like, this one worked out. Now we're going to try and push your book more for this one. Right. Yeah. God, I don't want to be in that game. <laughs> good, good luck to all of you who are. I, I'm hoping to just, like, die in obscurity. I, I'm going to be Kafka. I'm going to burn all my work, and by doing that, it means I have to burn my computers. But Well, I try to remind myself of that all the time, that, that, that so many of the greatest writers didn't even, like, get to live a day of real success. You know what I mean? Like, it's just funny what our expectations can be um, when these people, like, went their entire lives barely able to eat and, like, just writing for the sake of writing, and then their work lasted centuries and decades and or centuries and um yeah and it's like we write like a couple of books and we're like come on man you know it's like <laughs> that's why you gotta do it for yourself you though, do and be like maybe it'll live on but i'm not gonna pretend it will right right yeah it's a whole being an artist is just a lifelong mind fuck <laughs> 
it also takes a lot of ego, just a little bit, a little bit of ego and self-obsession to be into doing it. I don't know, though. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's... You have to think that your thoughts and everything are so worth it that you want to sell it to everybody else. See, but, yeah, I guess that was where I struggled, and, like, it made me not, like... It made me give up for a while, to be honest, and then... You know, you see all these people just, like, putting their stuff out there without thinking about it and whether it deserves to be up there or not. And you're just like, all right, just, like, see this thing through. You know what I mean? But, like, at the end of the day, the the ego thing is it is it does take a certain amount of ego to get to a certain place, but also there's, like, this self weird self-deprecation that always comes with it. And it's just, like, it's just another part of the yo-yo. It's like... It really is. <laughs> but you got some style, I have to say, when you, like, are throwing your lid out. I mean, based on these pictures and everything, you, you're going wild. Thank so you. Not full of ego, but your confidence, I vibing that, unless you were freaking out beforehand every single time. Thank you. Well, you know what? It is. It's smoke and mirrors on, on social media, and you have to be, you have to have a lot of, gusto to stand out and uh you know i've been working in the realm of pr for so long it's forced me to realize that there are certain things that you do need as an artist like good publicity shots and a good concept to be like standing for something and you need a strong voice like you can't like be mild-mannered that's not gonna get you anywhere so so it's like Part of me is stepping into a role when I'm, like, trying to sell myself, which I hate doing. And for years, I didn't even tell people I was a writer because I was, like, so ashamed of not being published yet and this and that. But it's, It's like, fun to come out as a writer to people, though. It is. It is when you have good news. Yeah. It's, like... <laughs> oh, it's bad, though, because then they're always, like, is it something I've heard of? Where can I find it? So... It's yeah. called this thing the internet. <laughs> it's like maybe two to three clicks you can find my mug. You just have to type the name, <laughs> press enter, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think those people are just kind of toying to like provoke the the beast, you know, like trying to make you feel less important because they think maybe you think you're important because you published a book or whatever. It's like, I don't think there's anything I could do that would make me feel like I'm important. Well, that's, but yeah, well, that's the thing. That's what the world's out to do is make everyone feel like unimportant, you know? So, I mean, I'd say that's a central theme in everything I write. Actually, What feeling unimportant? <laughs> yeah. All my main characters hate themselves. Yeah. Yeah. There were many, many years of that. And then therapy, therapy has helped me through some of that struggle. And I had to, you know, physically you have to rewire yourself to hate yourself a little less. And then it frees you up to, like, be able to do things that are a little beyond what you usually reach for. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's a whole weird thing. It's like... Yeah, especially if your family's like anti ego and you feel like you don't want to make a big deal of yourself, but at the same time, no one's gonna make a bigger deal of yourself than you. Like that's the that's the catch twenty two. It's like 
your book release is only going to be as big a deal as you make it personally because you can guarantee like the press is not the small press is not going to like blow any gaskets and you know like it's like I have worked in PR for a while so I got the help of a publicist um, to help me get some press about the book and that was awesome but like I certainly couldn't afford a publicity run on my own so it was just like I put my time in in the PR realm and I got something back from it you know and Anyway, it's a, yeah, it's the whole yo-yo. He's like, you do need to, you do need to make a big deal out of yourself, but you need to do it in a sincere way. That's not like, Hey, you know, like I expect to be, you don't want people to see you as a commodity. Yeah. You don't want, and you don't want people to think that you think you're better than anyone. It's not about that. It's just about saying my voice matters. And that doesn't mean anyone else's matters less, but I'm going to stand behind like me having something to say because I'm, put too many years into therapy and journals and reading and thinking about shit is like i'm not gonna you know just write myself off as knowing nothing you know it's like i'm sure the same is for you it's like you don't have to be openly self-deprecating anymore you can just you can just make the change or you tell yourself the things you want to hear from other people every night before you go to bed and it feels really awkward and it feels really unnatural. But, like, if you're telling yourself what you need to hear, then eventually you don't need to hear it anymore. You just feel it, you know? It's, like, it's really weird stuff that I got into in therapy that, like, but it did change my life for the better. And I finally got the book through the fucking door. So, <laughs> it's like, I really adore this book. And I really hope that, like, you get a shit ton of sales because this is one that, like, I think so many... Like, if the rock stars and everything are, like, relating to it, I, I relate to it. Like, yeah, I, it's all about going through the hustle, you know? Yeah, it is. It's all about going through the hustle <laughs> and hopefully providing some fuel for younger generations to make their way through it. Because the way things are going, I just I just feel like, yeah, I hope that uh, I hope that people keep reading and keep their imaginations going because that's what makes yeah. great art. What was your audience like, by the way? Like, how big of an audience did you tend to get during your tours? Um. Well, there was like. You did a very it good range job of, from like, like showing shots people. yourselves that look like rock stars, so I never actually saw, like, how big of a venue is it? Well, that is there. the funny thing is that I kept being like, I'm going to take a picture of the crowd from the stage, but, like, you literally can't see anything from the stage. Oh, yeah, Because the, the lights are, like, hitting you. So it's like... It, you need a photographer to be capturing the crowd. And finally, one of the photographers did get some shots of the crowd in Boston. But, um, yeah, it ranged from anywhere from, like, 10 or 15 people at, like, there was, like, like a particularly weird one in Sacramento where there was a sports game and everyone was at that um, to, like, too many people to count like in seattle the place got so slammed that like the sound guy had to hop behind the bar and that was like really popping seattle was amazing la like we had a killer turnout for 
especially for a Tuesday. We didn't know what to think. Um, but there were like at least 30 people at Book Soup and then at Viper Room. I don't know, maybe like 75. Uh, it's hard. I'm terrible with like guesstimating crowds, but. I mean, as long as there are people there to like support it and check it out, that's worth it. Absolutely. And that's what I mean. It's like, at least if you put these, you know, book shows slash rock shows at venues that are cool, it's like you're bound to get some like built in crowd. And overall, like, yeah, it was just really awesome. Really awesome to see the support and to meet new people and see people like be so confused about what was going to go down and then afterwards being like wow that actually was really cohesive and I'm like thank you I really really worked <laughs> making it work but we did get like um, a ton of footage so I'm going to be putting together like a sizzle reel and I think we have like a full show on audio um there's going to be some stuff that I'm going to put online. Just I can't like wait to check that out. Oh, like, seriously, Thank I, you. I'm getting FOMO just from looking at your Instagram right now. <laughs> so you say that you might add more dates, that. do another leg? Yeah. Yeah, well, we have one coming up in Culver City at a bookstore in June, June 8th, and then... Um, we're going to get this all the ducks in line and start sending out um, and try to book another jaunt of this because, um, like I said, if we can get some colleges on board, that makes like it actually like something that might be good income because colleges have budgets for events and stuff, and this is like something that might be perfect, you know, um, for like the events committee who knows but just trying to like this is the only thing that you know uses all the things that i put like many years into studying and working at for free so it'd be awesome if we could extend it a little bit and sell more copies of the book ton of books got sold and uh that's all that mattered really to me is getting getting people excited about the book just Next step is the world fun. tour, you know. The okay. world tour, of course. <laughs> Fingers crossed. It's going to be just God, like the Swifties. There are going to be like 20,000 people on a bridge right outside the venue where you're doing your reading. Be like, we want to hear you. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. The Swifties, yeah, that's it's a whole different realm. You're going to so. get the... I don't know. <laughs> Are we just going to call them the Violets? <laughs> no. <laughs> the Violets. That would be, See, that would be just a great fun, though. That was my great yeah. grandmother's name. <laughs> I appreciate it, okay, Mallory. So before we go, I just have to ask you one question. Yeah. Can I hear at least one of your pop quiz questions? Oh, yeah. You want me to give you the quick pop quiz? Just the questions. I'm going to suck at the actual quiz. No, well, I mean, it's all a personal thing. That's why people get all nervous, but there's no wrong answer. Okay. But, like, the main question of the 90s pop quiz is, if you could have dated any 90s rock star, who would have been your first choice? Carrie Brownstein. 
<laughs> See, nice. that was fast, wasn't it? <laughs> that was fast. And then I go into a whole tangent about how dating rock stars is a very controversial subject mm. in, in my book and in real life. So, See, don't you like that I picked the like, nice, nervous, shy musician? And it's like, <laughs> she won't outshine me. And I just revealed that I'm bisexual there. Hey. No, I, you would have been a perfect demographic for this. I hope we get our, our asses to Chicago. Um, hey, if you're not in Chicago, then I'm coming to L.A. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. No, definitely let me know. We're going to be best Take friends Take you around now. Venice. We'll get some drinks. <laughs> Sounds great. I love that. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah. Okay. Wait, wait. I need to ask. In the 90s, who would you have dated? I was obsessed with Billy Joe Armstrong, to be honest. Mm. I dig it. I just, oh my God, the Green Day lyrics and just his whole like psycho punk energy. But that was close up is Tori Amos. It's neck and neck. I was like religious about Tori, but Billy Joe Armstrong was my first love. I think I was like. I saw Basket Case, the music video. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, it, yeah. but it's a real gem. And, uh, and then Tori came after that, but he was the first one. I'm so happy also, you said him, because at first I thought you were going to say Billy Corgan. I was like, ah, get off my show. Well, honestly, I was going to say it was a tie with Billy Corgan. Nah. I was just about to say that. I had, I had the Smashing Pumpkins and the Green Day posters on my wall. But <laughs> Have you ever met I know him? No, no, I am not, I have not met him, but I will say that I have been friends with someone who dated him, and I've heard all the horror stories, and I've, I, I, I also listened to your podcast talk about him before, so. Yeah. Trust me, I know, he is not who he used to be, but when he first started out, he was a different guy, and that guy I would have dated. Okay. See, I don't know the 90s Billy Corgan. No, Billy Corgan when when he had long hair, it was, was my Billy Corgan. As soon as he got bald, I was like, no, he's done. It's over, Billy. See? So. It's not even the bald for me. It's just the fact that he annoyed the shit out of me when I met him. <laughs> well, I mean, that totally makes sense, but also, like, you met him way, way past his prime. So, yeah. I'm saying when. And he was opening up a weird tea shop. He obviously was going through some shit. Oh, yeah, the tea shop. I forgot about that. <laughs> I think that place is closed now, but yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, I'm happy to know about your Tori Amos slash Billy Joe crush. <laughs> A three-way would have been great. Wow. Wow, indeed. <laughs> See, we're both going to be thinking about that after this. Okay. Thanks for dealing with all the technical difficulties, and I love all that you do. So best of luck. Thank you so much, Mallory. I hope we get to hang sometime in real life soon. All right, that was Jessamine Violet. Check out her book, Secret Rules to Being a Rockstar, and I recommend checking out her music project, Movie Club, on Spotify. It's a total vibe. You can learn more about her from her website, jessamineviolet.com or stalker on twitter like i do at jessamineviolet be sure to check the show notes for all the proper spellings and links as always please check out our twitter at pod healing 
and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. Show us support by going on to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review or subscribing and rating us on Spotify. We'll be back next Saturday with an off-the-record episode with Josh Dale. This is Mallory Smart. Thanks for listening to the show.